Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the reward-winning seating. They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Kicking off this week, I've got something a little different to tell you about. January and February and the frozen wastes of the Canadian prairies can be pretty bleak, to say the least. But I recently had the pleasure of adding a little spice to the dark days while reveling in a darkness of a more entertaining kind. A little something called Hunt a Killer. I remember playing boxed murder mystery games as a teenager, but this takes the home murder mystery experience to a whole new level. There are tons of experiences to choose from on huntakiller.com. Lots of choices in our favorite genre, too. I got the Blair Witch Box. Here's the description of that one from the website. The Burkittsville police say that 15-year-old Liam Kent is a runaway. But those who know the legends surrounding Black Hills Forest and the Blair Witch aren't so sure. Liam's mother, Rosemary Kent, needs your help to unravel the mysterious circumstances surrounding Liam's disappearance. Is he a runaway, like the police insist? Or is there something more sinister, or even supernatural, at the heart of the case? This game has not only been an absolute blast to explore, but so brilliantly crafted and shockingly immersive. 
from physical clues to challenging riddles to pieces of a much larger story that begin to unravel as you progress. I found myself thinking about it for days after we played. The box set includes multiple episodes within a season, which means there's a ton of content and hours worth of play. We're still working our way through it, but I can't wait to see where we end up. I see Blair Witch Season 2 came out not that long ago, with another six episodes, which are standalone from the first season. I think that'll have to be in the cards once we finish this one. If you're a fan of riddles, escape rooms, dark tales, and unraveling mysteries, I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest you might be. I can't recommend Hunt a Killer enough. You can check out all of the different experiences they have to offer at huntakiller.com. Then, use the offer codes in the show notes to get $10 off any item, 10% off your cart, or 20% off a monthly subscription. And if you do, let me know how it is. I'd love to hear how some of the other experiences are, so I know which one to pick up next. Again, that's huntakiller.com, and check out the offer codes in the show notes. Before we dive into our tales this evening, a reminder. I hope you've been honing your quills and prepping your inkwells, because our newest flash fiction contest is nearly upon us. The theme this time around is the changing seasons. I don't know about you, but I love an open-ended prompt. So many ways to interpret it. I hope this one gets the wheels turning and the darkness roiling, ready to spill out onto the page. The contest opens February 15th and will run until April 1st. But there's no time like the present to let those inner demons start scheming. Visit talestoterrify.com slash flash contest for more details on what we're looking for and how to submit. And once the portal opens, that's where you'll find it. Stay tuned to our social media, too, for more updates. Now, let's see what horrors we've captured for you this evening. Our first story for the evening comes from Victoria Zelvin. Victoria Zelvin is a speculative fiction writer living and working in Washington, D.C. Her short fiction has appeared in various magazines and anthologies, including Luna Station Quarterly and Daily Science Fiction, and is forthcoming from Abyss and Apex. To read more of her work, visit victoriazelvin.com or follow her on Twitter at victoriazelvin. Children of the Night, join me for Victoria Zelvin's They Burned My Mother at Dawn, a Tales to Terrify original.
My anger loves me. My anger loves me as my mother loved me. My anger put its arms tenderly around me when they burned my mother at dawn. My anger looked for faces, details, tattoos, names, badges, any identifiable information when I was too terrified to speak. My anger said it was wrong. It's wrong. They burned a woman without trial or proof. They burned her. They destroyed her. They took her. My anger holds me now that my mother cannot. Anger is corrosive, said the woman, pretending she was a saint for taking me in. They, the ones who burned my mother at dawn, the knights and witch hunters and other self-congratulatory names, put me with her, saying she'd raise a good woman of me. I broke all of her plates and stole all her silver butter knives during my teenage escape from that house that smelled of ash. My anger kept me warm on the long, cruel days and the endless, hungry nights while I fled. My anger is the only reason I am alive. Like a little flame on a windy day, sometimes it is a fragile thing. But my anger lives on, as stubborn as I am. They burned my mother at dawn. Before they die, they will realize they should have burned me. I had no idea how to go about becoming the witch they thought my mother was when they killed her. I had only bad examples from propaganda and fear-mongering to guide me, and the anger inside me said that they were wrong. But I was a weird little girl blossomed into a stubborn teenager. What I lacked in knowledge I made up for in commitment. My mother has friends. Had friends. They burned my mother and they burned her home, but they couldn't burn the knowledge from my brain. My mother didn't like to write her own letters, so she had me take care of it. Writing, addressing, passing to the postman. So I go down a list. The herbalist takes some of the silver butter knives in exchange for food and a few poultices, but there ends his involvement. The alchemist takes the last of the silver butter knives and lets me take clothes and a new pair of shoes from his trunk. He offers me a place as his servant, but refuses to let me learn his trade, and so I leave. I take my stolen silver butter knives and his wide-brimmed black hat in recompense for wasting my time. The last is the furthest away, but the most promising. A witch, my mother used to whisper to me, scrunching her face up to be mischievous, waggling her fingers, then drawing on wrinkles with soot from the hearth. The woman I picture is ancient and shriveled, a young woman answers the door instead. Mother said you'd be coming, she says. She's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Daisies weaved into her braided hair so neatly it was as if they'd sprouted from her scalp, too. Kind eyes. Too kind. Come in, you must be tired. I'm sorry about your mother. I mumble something as I shuffle in. I don't know what it is. I'm Amicia, she says. I mumble something approximating my name, and she shuts the door behind me. Amicia makes my anger quiet. She's beautiful. She's terrible. The witch is her mother, indeed ancient, but not yet shriveled, and the witch insists on teaching us together if anyone is to be taught at all. Amicia doesn't want to learn the things that I want to learn. She wants to learn gardening magics. 
She wants to learn how to help trees grow. She wants to learn how to convince aphids to coexist within a garden rather than destroying it. I want fire. It's all I want. The weapon of the enemy against them, I say, when the witch narrows her eyes at me. This is no easy thing you seek to do, the witch says. It will take time. There are easier magics. I want fire. I want the fire. The witch only sighs. Then you are determined that your path leads to fire, she says. I only hope it does not burn away other paths before you can see them. We will begin. The witch works me hard. There is no proof, she says, that I have magic. Willing it to be so will not make it so. I must have innate talent. The trick is unlocking it, but it may not be fire. Despite her warnings, I demand she teach me about fire. Only fire. So she does. About what burns, what doesn't. Why some things do and don't, and why some do better than others. How a fire breathes, how it burns, how it dies. She places my hands around fire, tells me to breathe with it, and stay on that point where it just doesn't burn me. It singes, and sometimes it stings, and often at night I cannot sleep for the feel of searing heat against my flesh. It is a tenth, if that, of what my mother felt. At night, lying away in my petty agony, I wonder what my mother's crime could have been. To be torn from your house, tied to a stake, and burned at dawn? It had to be something bad, right? Or maybe not bad. Dangerous. Yes, dangerous to the wrong people. I was young when they burned my mother at dawn. The images that I can conjure of her face seem to have a halo of golden light around her face, and she always smells faintly of fruit pie and lavender. It's not a true rendering, it's not a true feeling, but sometimes I imagine her worst crime was smiling too much. Or maybe she was too pretty, and it made all the noble women jealous. Or maybe she had dangerous ideas, like stealing from the rich to feed the poor, or starting a home community garden. Maybe, I think, she was the best woman who ever lived and they killed her for being too kind. That's their mistake, I tell myself like a lullaby. They killed the nice one. Now there's just me. Would my mother be disappointed in me? I lie now. I steal. I tell myself that it's to live, but it's fun, too. They should have burned me at dawn for that, I think. But they didn't. Their crime, I decide, is that they're stupid in their cruelty. Tonight, I lay awake with Amicia sleeping pressed to my side. She breathes gently, untroubled. I twirl one of her curls around my finger and imagine what I would do to anyone who came to tear her out of this bed and tie her to a stake. When I finally sleep, too, I dream of them screaming, cowering away from me. The fire won't heed me. Every time I try to influence it, it pulls the other direction. The witch tells me that is a kind of progress, that if I was truly hopeless at it, then the fire wouldn't move at all. I sulk because fire is always moving, but I keep trying. 
and trying, and trying. But I fear the fire. I don't want to admit it, but I do. Ever since they burned my mother at dawn, I'm afraid of dying like she did. It's holding me back. I burn my hand on purpose the day I realize that. The witch sends me to bed early and won't let me train for days. I don't know how it happens. Amicia becomes a fixture in my life by proximity. In space, in age, in power. She grows me flowers. She cooks me food from her garden. All I have are my arms and my body and my warmth, and I hold her because she wants me to, and somehow that's enough for her to fall in love. She wants to run away together, start a life where no one knows us. I tell her no. She doesn't want me to hold her after that. Do you even remember your mother? The witch asks abruptly one day. Or has your anger burned all that away? The insinuation burns. I'm doing all of this for my mother. I, I remember her. I remember. Screaming as the flames licked up her dress, dancing up to her hips. Her laughing, cackling. The flames surging in a rush, shooting taller than the trees, burning bright, bright, gone. The smell of ash and cooked meat and... No, the witch says. Not that. Not only that. Your mother was not what they made her. She was bright and loving. Her memory should warm you like a campfire, not burn you too. That's why the fire will not help you, why you cannot wield it. And you won't until you can see through it. Now tell me one thing, just one thing, about your mother that has nothing to do with how she died. I think. I try to, anyway. But I leave the room without answering and slam the door shut behind me. My mother didn't wield the fire that killed her. I don't need to either. I need to unleash it like she did. End lives. Their lives, not mine. Maybe that's what the witch wants to teach me with her question. But without anger? Was that really how my mother died? Was that really how she lived? I cannot imagine it. Maybe she was angry. Maybe that's why they burned my mother at dawn. Maybe she cursed them and they're all dead already. Maybe they hated her because she saw them for what they are and she hated them first. Maybe her hate burned as brightly as mine does. They come to the village by chance. It doesn't matter to me what brings them, only that it is them, with their armor and their sigils of fire and thorn brightly emblazed on their chests. They march in, kick over food carts, act like bullies while townspeople scream, and then announce that they are here to save them from evil. They declare martial law. They declare they are here to hunt witches, and they will burn any they find in the town square. They begin to build the pyres almost as soon as they enter, even before they finish saying that law-abiding, God-fearing folk have nothing to fear. Amicia is scared. I encourage that. I help her pack. I make her pack. I grab her by the front of her shirt and I pull her out of that home, the only home she's ever known, and tell her to run. 
I tell the witch to hide them both deep in the woods and never to come out again. I turn to go, and Amicia grabs my wrist. I pull away. She calls my name. I pause, look back. She reaches for me, and I turn back to where the witch hunters wait. Amicia doesn't follow me. They don't notice me at first. Then they laugh. A witch, come to confess. I don't have a plan. The fire, the witch warned, is a fickle weapon. She warned me to be careful it does not burn me too. She warned me for Amicia's sake. But here I am, stopped before them, the girl who shouldn't be. My only weapon, should the fire fail to come, is a butter knife. I press the pad of my thumb so hard against the silver butter knife it cuts. Sharp, stinging pain, then the welling of hot blood. No, hotter than blood. As if I'm holding a coal. Light so bright I can barely see their faces, their bodies beyond it. It catches my skirt, climbs up my leg, dances around my side. I lift my hand and it swirls up with me, searing my sleeve away with it. The fire is mine now. I smile. And we burn. That was Victoria Zelvin's They Burned My Mother at Dawn, as read by Avin Shore. Alvin Shore is an audiobook narrator, beekeeper, and friend to chickens. She lives and works from a home studio in the woods of rural Canada. Thank you, Alvin. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Our second tale tonight comes from Amanda Michelle. Amanda Michelle is a speculative fiction writer based in Florida 
where her life revolves around befriending the local wildlife and making the perfect cup of tea. Her work is featured or upcoming in venues like The Dread Machine, Lamplight Magazine, Corvid Queen, and the anthology A Woman Built by Man. You can find her on her website at amanda-michelle.com. Listen with me, children of the night, to Amanda Michelle's The Cabin of Endless Winter, a Tales to Terrify original. Mary presses her hand against the ice. It stays firm as she sweeps her bare palm across its burning frost, the glass beneath offering no translucence. She allows her hand to fuse against the ice as she stares with barely a blink at the opaque needlepoint shards. She fails to notice the approach of a figure behind her, through the whipping winds and sleet of snow, the beginnings of a storm. For someone so slight, Robin moves swiftly as if one with the elements. From behind, she grips Mary's arm in a maternal but firm gesture. Mary doesn't give a start at the intrusion, merely allows herself to be flipped ragdoll-like to see Robin face to face. In spite of the storm's nascent churn, Robin doesn't need to raise her voice to be heard. Let's go back. Dinner will be ready soon. She doesn't let go of Mary's arm as she leads her back to their cabin, which stands a singular fortress against the snowfall. Within, the dining room is warmed by a fire perfumed with cinnamon and the dust of magic. Robin seats Mary at their banquet-sized table. As Robin returns to the kitchen, habitual fretting in her demeanour, Mary immediately relocates to the window to stare out. Right now, Robin prepares a special dinner for herself and Mary. She's been preparing this dinner for days, or would have been if there were days or even a sun. There is only the dark vortex of winter and the crackling of the fire. They've no need for wood or ingredients because Robin witched a cabin where these things will never not be in supply. No matter how many snowflakes fall, the bank outside will grow no larger, just as the dough that Robin braids for egg bread will never deplete the flour barrels and the spring will never come to melt the cold away. Robin returns from the kitchen to set down dishes one by one, 
Time to change for dinner, she chirps. When Mary doesn't make a move, she prompts, Come on now, you can't be comfortable in that dress. You must be freezing. Robin arrests Mary with a look of concern over a plate of honeyed figs she's carefully placing. You've been so restless lately. You've worn yourself out. Maybe after dinner we can play a game together or tell stories over the fire. Still no response, except for the clink of where Robin sets glasses of mulberry wine. Robin chuckles, maybe more to herself than Mary. I know what you're thinking. Games and stories, games and stories, and delicious meals. Mary, with the cadence of a pouting child, adds, And snow. Robin smiles at having compelled her to talk, though Mary doesn't remove her eyes or forehead from the face of the window. She's not nearly so catatonic as she seems. I think you'd be surprised, the infinite number of stories I have to tell. Mary lulls back into silence. On nights like tonight, which is to say all nights, Robin tells stories about her grand witches and meanwhile throws handfuls of glitter and herbs on the flames. It savours of intoxicating fumes which always make Mary sleepy and loopy, and she laughs along in contentment and the next day they celebrate with another dinner. Well, I hope you're excited to eat, Robin continues. I made all new things, butterflied quail with sweet corn stuffing, hot berry compote over cashew yogurt, cayenne and chocolate coffee, and... Mary, are you listening? Why won't you go change? Nothing. Robin's brow crumbles. Are you ignoring me because of what you were saying a few days ago? About your sister, Chiara? Mary finally looks away from the window, long enough to shoot a poisoned dart of a glare right into Robin's face. Sorry, Robin amends. Her name was Clara, right? I wouldn't waste any thoughts on her. She was toxic when you lived with her and she's destined to be toxic all her life. Is that all? Mary doesn't respond, but her silence, the cadence with which she looks out the window, says a reply is beneath her. So what is it then, Mary? Are you bored? Why not tell me what you'd like then? No? Would you like to see the ghosts perform? I can summon them for you. I can even make them talk. Though you know how they mumble about nothing. Or how about the mushroom tea? Want to try the mushroom tea? Mary still doesn't reply, and Robin continues placing plates of saffron noodle soup, truffle arugula cheese dip, spider crab rice. No, I suppose it's the simple pleasures for you lately, isn't it? All you've done is look out the window and read my spell books. Those aren't any use to a human. Do you want me to summon more books? I can get you human books, new ones even. You want that? Robin, as if to punctuate the lack of response, sets down a plate of crystal ginger biscuits. Quietly, she asks, You don't want to leave, do you? Her voice demands an answer in its softness. 
The tension settles upon them like a blanket of fresh snow. Mary resists her response, but the air itself has grown noticeably louder, an echo of the storm that's amplifying outside. Because I made this sanctuary for us, Robin continues, her voice trembling. I made it to keep us safe from the suffering of outside. So what is it you want, Mary? The waxing shadows close in to suppress the fire. The cabin has grown cold. So cold. Mary murmurs finally, softly. I've just been thinking. Warmth and the merry crackle of the fireplace promptly reinvigorate as Robin sets down a piped pudding that has come floating in from the kitchen. Oh, she's been thinking. And what has occupied you so dreadfully, my love? Softly, like she's caught in the delicate bubble of a dream, Mary says, I've been thinking about back when we first met. Remember? Robin, satisfied, returns to slicing some cherry-crusted ham. It's a well-trodden topic of conversation for them. Of course I remember. I was having a dalliance among the humans and there you were, so mistreated and unhappy. What teenager isn't unhappy? First time I saw you was on Halloween. You'd snuck out, but didn't want to go back. You were sure your parents had discovered you were gone. You said they were going to kill you. I thought you were the older woman of my dreams, come to take me away from all life's problems. You saw me crying like that and you still wanted to see me again. Robin sighs, melancholic. It was unbearable being away from you for all those stretches of time. I had to wait until you were able to get away from constant drudgeries. Do you remember how infinite it felt? I don't. It was just a blink. Not like here. <laughs> well, I don't have to sleep, so you can imagine how the hours dragged on for me. You had so many obligations. Obligations we don't have among witches. I waited for you while you were in school or having dinner with your family. There was nothing, just... Empty lifetimes between when we got to see each other. You once told me that a year for humans is like a thousand for witches. You were in this blank space between meetings. It was like you didn't exist at all. You were willing away your miniature human years with pointless routines. It wasn't pointless. I was getting an education. I was with my family. Your family. The ones who hexed your mind. They could be kind. It wasn't all lies and all that. There were other things too. There, there was a whole continuum of emotion. Things happening. Things to do. There was change. Robin sighed as she set down a plate of whipped feta with too much force. Is that what this is about after all? I told you we could get the ghosts in here. I used to go out on four days with my sister and we would get hot dogs on the boardwalk. We'd picnic on the beach and watch the waves and pick up shells and seagrass. We would dig our hands into the sand and watch the coquinas dig. 
you want shells? I'll get you shells. It's not like that. That's not what I'm talking about. Then what is it? Spell it out. Use your words. Sensing that Robin's tension had reached the limits of its expansion, Mary takes a breath and continues carefully. What I was saying was, remember when we first got together, before you created this... this snow globe? I've told you, it's not actually a snow globe. It's a dimension that I hollowed out. I thought the snow globe would make it easier for you to understand. That's not the point, Mary screams before regaining her composure at Robin's hard look. That's not the point. I was wondering if you remembered what you said before we came in here, that you would show me the witching world. It's easy to pass between the human world and the witching world on Sowen, isn't it? I thought we could still do that sometime. Get out of here and go visit your old home. So you are saying you want to leave? I just fucking knew it. No, I want to know more about you. I was always fascinated about your life as a witch. It's a long time until Sowen, Robin murmurs. She sets plates with croissants and jam. She sets cups of milk tea that steam at a consistently perfect temperature. I know, though she doesn't. It's just... I just mean, when? If you feel like you have to devise some kind of escape, just say so. It's not that. Don't you think it would be nice to take a vacation like couples do? At least like human couples? I don't know about what... Robin exhales her terror as she watches the person who means the most to her. If Mary wants to leave, it doesn't matter. They cannot leave. Robin, in her power, made their fortress impenetrable to protect them from the shifting fortunes of the outside world. Here, in the cabin of endless winter, there's only the two of them, as it's meant to be. So what do you say? Mary asks. I'll keep it in mind. Mary shoots up out of the window seat. You'll always keep it in mind. Everything I want you to do, you'll just keep in mind. Though she expects Robin to get upset with her, Robin just sighs and puts a hand to her head like Mary has caused her a headache, though Mary has never known the witch to be ill or in pain. In fact, Mary herself has never even had the novelty of a menstrual cramp since entering the snow globe. Listen, Robin says. She sets down braised duck eggs with bright orange yolks. It's about time I told you, though I'm not proud of it. This confessional voice is certainly new, which compels Mary to take a seat and listen. Robin continues. When I was with other witches, I was considered strange for having interest in humans. Even before I met you, I thought your culture fascinating, which is not considered transgressive, but rather a bit weird. Building a dimension and taking a human inside it, though, that's different. I thought you once told me witches know no law. We don't have anything quite like laws, no, but there would be vigilantes who would take issue. 
If I went back, I would be as good as dead, and so would you. Mary blinks, dumbfounded. Her voice can barely be heard over the intensifying wind through the snow. So we won't ever be going? No, we won't be going. As if herself propelled by magic, Mary launches from the seat to the table, sweeping her hand across its surface and hurtling every dish she touches onto the floor. The world is suddenly a barrage of sound, her screams and the white noise of swirling snow and indistinguishable cries of You promised! You liar! garbled between the crash of plates and dull splatters of meat. Robin doesn't move at first, but then Mary grabs hold of one of the kitchen knives and stabs it into her wrist, her stomach, her heart, again and again. When Robin stands... Her presence is so large that it overshadows the lanterns. Flames diminish as if clinging to their wicks to hide. She drops the dish that she's holding, smoked salmon. It shatters over the floor, splattering whiskey-coloured sauce on Robin's shoe. The wind from outside has found its way in, making shadows sway. Her eyes contract with the vision of realms far beyond their snow globe. Mary drops the knife, which is unstained. Death, she's known for a long time, is not possible here, not without magic. She tries to raise her hand, to surrender, to placate, but her body jerks with the force of a thousand arms. She's locked rigid into place, her body ceasing its vital functions. Breath halts in her lungs, half exhaled, and her eyes sting with the inability to blink, the inability to look away from Robin's inhuman stare. Would you like to die, Mary? Robin whispers. Is that what you want to say? That you would rather die than be here with me? Mary is permitted to choke an answer, relieved that her lungs are given momentary reprieve from their burning. No, of course not. I made this place for you, Robin continues in the same soft voice. I made it so there would never be any distance between us. I made it so you could finally be free. I made this dinner for you. Mary tries to squeak a reply, but Robin has either forgotten to release the constriction of her larynx or doesn't care to. Robin continues, I don't want to have to get physical with you, Mary, but you've been a danger to yourself lately, lashing out like this, having these exhausting tantrums. It's impossible to even have a pleasant conversation with you anymore. I don't want to have to bind you like this, but you leave me no choice when you present such a danger to yourself, when I've done nothing but take care of you. She stares directly into Mary's arrested gaze for several moments, as if expecting a response, before remembering that Mary can't speak. She releases Mary, who falls at once into a choking heap on the ground, spittles sputtering from her lips, then pooling in a viscous thread from her mouth. When she can manage, Mary mules, I'm sorry. 
and Robin sighs. No, I'm sorry. I didn't want to have to do that. By degrees, Mary pulls herself to her knees, still shaking like paper fluttering in the wind. With heroic effort, she smiles. I'm sorry about dinner. Can I get us new wine? Robin smiles also. Yes, that would be nice. Here they are, back in their idyllic picture frame, never having shed their smiles. Their dinner is back on the table. No time has passed. The storm outside is beginning its vortex. While Mary returns from the kitchen, balancing two stemmed glasses full of ruby liquid, Robin takes her usual seat. You know, I never wanted to be the sort of wicked witch your family thought I was. It's just that you've been so erratic lately. I worry. You know I would do anything for you, don't you? I created this whole place for us. Ever since I first saw you, I wanted you for myself. Hadn't she been aware that Mary had long since grown weary of her tricks? No longer did she gasp when Robin made fireworks whiz through their living room or set the sculptures to movement about the cabin. Even when Robin had created this place with the intention of shielding Mary from an evil whose breadth she couldn't possibly fathom, she knew Mary would one day grow to resent it. But she refused to think about that. As she constructed the cabin log by log, she refused to think of the way that Mary would someday sneer at her with helpless rage, as if from behind the bars of a cage. She refused to think about how the adumbration of violent hatred stamped on each human body would eventually fade from Mary's mind. For it is, after all, impossible to create any place completely untouched by time. Mary smiles. I know, Robin. Just forget about it. Let's drink to our cabin, our home. They clink glasses which seems to return vibrant warmth to Robin's cheeks. But her gaze stays watery. Her smile continues to waver at the corners. Still, she says, still, I could stand to be more understanding when you reminisce on your sister. After all, with the human world was as terrible for you as it was, I'm sure you feel guilty about leaving her behind. Mary shakes as she suggests, perhaps you could... Conjure some magic to show it to me in a glass. Uh, I read witches can do that. Only so I know she's well. Robin's gaze levels at her. Silence clouds them momentarily as Mary tastes her words once more, trying to find one she might regret. But she has never seen that expression on Robin before. But Robin simply sets down the dregs of her wine with the solemnity of a priest conferring the blood of Christ. I've... I've something I must confess to you, Mary. It's been intolerable keeping it from you, but I haven't wanted to aggravate your sensitive state. The barrage of magic must have used up some of her reserves. Only a glass of wine in and she's slurring her essays. Mary doesn't say anything, nor does she blink. 
Robin continues. You well understand that there is no time here. It simply does not pass. Still, that hasn't prevented time from passing in the world that you knew. And I've kept the calculations. She takes a moment to sip down the tissue remnants of her wine, first swirling them around as if reading them for signals. I'm sorry, Mary, but from what you've told me of human lifespans, your sister has been gone for a long while. Clara's dead. I felt guilty that I never got to show you my world, Mary. It was a mistake on my part. The truth is, well, a few thousand years have passed in your world. I understand that's a long time. The problem is, you don't belong in there. The moment you touched the air, you would turn to dust. <laughs> you didn't say anything. You knew the whole time and you didn't say anything. Outside, the snow brews the beginning of a tempest. When Robin speaks, it's like a wail from the depths of her throat. But her words are shaped oddly. She pours another glass of wine and takes a bowl-sized gulp. I know I'm selfish, but I couldn't stand to take away from the wonderland we've built together. I didn't want to upset you, remind you of that, that place. I was just, I was just so scared. Tears grey her face, spill over her lips. When she tries to take a sip of her third glass, it sloshes out of her mouth. Her lips have gone so slack she can hardly feel them. What? What, what is this? What? It's a poison, Mary says, like an interesting little fact, a tidbit. I put it in your glass. No, not possible. No, not possible, Robin splutters, lungs full of musk. Nothing can hurt us in here. Nothing but magic, Mary reasons. She has, after all, been reading Robin's spellbook. A witch-made poison would kill either of us. But I, I didn't make... I didn't have... No, I made it. Robin chokes a gasp, which compels Mary to amend. I'm not a witch, I know, but I used a witch's magic to make the poison. A little bit is left behind each time you use it, you know. A little glitter you can collect and use on any recipe that requires magic. Like a poison. I must have collected, well, a thousand years worth. It's making you go totally immobile right now. Probably fogging up your brain as well. Robin's breath puffed like that of a beached fish. Why? Why? From your books, I read that witch magic is soluble. It dies with the witch. Millions and millions of times I've seen your ghosts or fires shimmer out of existence and every time I collected the dust you left behind. Magic in its chemical form. Robin slurs. Tears rupturing and punctuating her words. This is a different place, another realm. All that will leave with me is the food, the cabin, 
the snow. I'll starve, Mary shrieks, half delighted by the idea while Robin wails some foghorn sound. Robin tries to collect a full breath. My magic isn't timeless. This place is. You'll starve. Not to death. Never to death. Never to death. Help me raise my arm. Quick, you need a new... Then dissolve the realm. Put us back. You built it around us, damn you. Too long. It takes too long. A new potion. My magic. Please. The potion's gone, Mary shrieks. The poison's gone and all your magic with it. Though Robin is now fully paralysed, sliding down her chair with the inability to contract the muscles in her back or legs. Mary can see she is trying to hold out her arm to her, to activate more of that magic. A thousand years' worth of dust. A spell with the power to kill. But there is no power left in Robin now. Robin! Mary screams, grabbing her arm to try to wield it for her. But Robin has slumped into formlessness. Her cheek lolls helplessly against that dark, fragrant wood that smell of cedar she always imbued diminishing, the fine edges of everything beginning to tremble. Mary shakes her, hoping she'll crack Robin's head against that floor and wake her up. But Robin, she's becoming diminished around the edges too. Mary heaves Robin's body against the floor, the floor that's beginning its crackling disintegration again and again and wails, Robin, don't leave me. I want to be dust. I want to be dust. That was Amanda Michelle's The Cabin of Endless Winter as read by Alexandra Elroy. Alexandra is a bilingual voice actress and writer who lurks by the shallow polders of the Netherlands, waiting for her next bout of inspiration. She loves everything to do with stories, especially creative and playful horror. Her favorite voices to do are witches, goblins, and crazy computers. Things she brags about are her children, her stories, her Japanese B.A., and her podcast on UK culture, One Cup of Perfect Tea. Thank you, Alexandra. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Amanda Carrillo, Amanda Gottfried, Kathy Robinson, Lessel Baxter, Orion D. Hegra, and Paul Belcher, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show, 
to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we feed your inner demons with more Tales to Terrify. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.